Thanks for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Reformation Lutheran Church in Las Vegas. This week's readings come from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, 1 through 10. Thanks for listening, and you can worship with us online every Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless. I feel like I'm talking about my family today. Um, I just want to say, for the record, my wife, Marissa, is the classiest woman I have ever met in my life. She always looks great on every occasion. I noticed this uh, when we were students at seminary together, even for those uh, early classes. Uh, She never was doing the whole sweatpants thing. She always looked very put together. So imagine how I felt when uh, Marissa had recently shared with me that when we uh, had been to uh, London to visit our friend twice, she shared that she felt so outclassed by all the locals and all the tourists in London and how well-dressed and how well-put-together they were, and she said she felt like a bumpkin. Now, uh, I, I was a little taken aback by that, and I kind of noticed, too, uh, in London that people did look really good. Uh, when you've lived in Vegas for a while uh, and you see how the tourists dress here, <laughs> you're never ready <laughs> when you go to another city, uh, which is probably why uh, one time I was in New York and I was staying in New Jersey for a conference. I had um, I'd gone out to Long Island to visit some of Marissa's family in the afternoon, and um, they dropped me back off in Manhattan so I could just kind of uh, wander around. And uh, foolish me, uh, I didn't know this about Manhattan, but I was wearing like a hoodie, like just a regular hoodie, and I was walking around Manhattan. Uh, first, it was really hard to find a restroom, um, as they talked about on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, and then secondly, every place I went into just to either like order food or go to a bookstore or something, somebody always came up and got like this close to me. This is pre-social distancing. And like, can we help you? Do you need something? And then I was like, why is everybody so in my face? I know this is New York. And then I kind of looked down and I went... Oh, so this got me through okay in Jersey, and this got me through okay in the Long Island Railroad, but when you're a couple blocks from Wall Street, you have to kind of look a little better. Um, you know, I was, I was not dressed for the place that I was in. I felt incredibly out of place. And this, by the way, is... Uh, and much love to Manhattan and New York. I, I, I love the place. I have a story about the other time where I wore a suit jacket there um, and ended up not in Manhattan. So anyway, <laughs> Isaiah felt the same way. He felt totally outclassed. He felt totally underdressed. He felt totally unready when he went to prophecy school. Now, every prophet in the Old Testament, not every that we get to hear, but In some of the prophets, they talk about this experience of receiving what we call in the church a call to speak God's word, a call to be a prophet. And uh, they all get to go to prophecy school, which is, by the way, for me, way cooler than seminary, right? Seminary, you just kind of, people talk at you and you make friends and, you know, you sneak out to the... Uh, local bar every night, right? That was my seminary experience. 
This was way cooler. They, it, prophets got to get visions of God. Isaiah gets to go right into God's very throne room. And as jealous as I am of Wartburg because their chapel looks like a worship space other than the square from Genio Turkey that we have at Luther Seminary, uh, it, even better than Wartburg's chapel was the place where Isaiah got to go. He got to go to the very throne room of God, got to see God sitting on the throne and God's robes filled the entire temple. And all around above God's head are these flaming, fiery serpents. And yes, by the way, that's what seraphim are. So if you have those greeting co those greeting cards with, well, I guess they're cherubs, but but anyway, the greeting cards with like the sweet, beautiful angels. No, what Isaiah is seeing is flaming serpents. Serap means burning. So Isaiah is in this place with God in all of God's majesty, with flaming angels flying around him. And they're all singing, holy, holy, holy. And just like we sang this morning. And, and we always think of holy as something, you know, really nice, really special. But this word means set apart. This word means very, very, very special. This word means clean, very clean. And Isaiah is right there, just like poor me wearing a hoodie in the middle of Manhattan. He is here with all of this human flesh in this room that is full of divine glory. He knew that he did not belong where he was. But I think it's really interesting what Isaiah says, right? We're expecting a, a Wayne's world like, I am not worthy, I am not worthy. But this is not what he's saying. I'm going to try to make that the only 90s reference. Okay, we'll okay, right? He says, I am ruined. That is, I think, the best way to translate this word, right? What does it say in what we read today? I am undone, right? But Isaiah's, the, he, the word in Hebrew means, I am ruined. Everywhere else that you see this word in Hebrew scripture doesn't apply to a person who's at a party they don't belong to. This word is applied to cities which are either about to be or have been destroyed. Isaiah is saying, I am being laid to waste. And notice he also says, I have unclean lips and I come from a people who have unclean lips. And this starts to make a lot of sense, right? Isaiah is saying, I'm about to be devastated when you know where this story falls in history. We don't know exactly when it was written, but King Uzziah, who is mentioned right in the first verse of our story, was a glorious king in his own right. He led the people in years of great power and great prosperity. But in the years after King Uzziah, in the subsequent kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, there was this enemy that came from, a, from the north 
It was these people called the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a great and mighty empire whose capital was Nineveh, by the way, which we heard about last week in Jonah. Right? These are the enemies of the Israelites. And in the very chapter before this vision, the Assyrians are described as coming not only powerfully, but quickly and laying to waste the entire kingdom of Israel. So it's very interesting that when Isaiah gives us his prophecies, he places this vision of God's throne room right after the story of Israel being devastated. Isaiah is making a contrast. He's showing that there are earthly kingdoms that fall, even ones that belong to God's chosen people, even ones that belong to 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. But just because you've toppled the kingdom doesn't mean that you have toppled our God. Because Isaiah gives a vision of a throne room, of a kingdom that simply cannot be toppled. So Isaiah is in that throne room, fully aware that the people who he belongs to have suffered a great defeat. And those same Assyrians that destroyed Israel will come knocking on the door of Judah as well. And for those of you who have time on your hands and are looking for something to read, the book of Chronicles is in the later chapters, not the list of names, uh, is really fun. And you can read all about that. But Isaiah says, I belong to an unclean people. I belong to a people who have been devastated because they've already turned their back on the God who lives in this throne room. This is not just, you know, pious humility. Oh, God, you're so great. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, I'm so lucky to be here. Oh, it's, you know, this is, by the way, Peter's, you know, game. Isaiah is not playing that game. Isaiah says, just as you have given me a vision your power, of your power in destroying my country, so too you're about to destroy me. And so Isaiah lets rip from his mouth all of his sin. But then something really even more strange happens. One of those flamey, flame, flamey, flaming and fiery serpents takes a pair of tongs, goes to the altar, and takes a hot little lump of coal, right? Like, like uh, you know, we think of coal being what Santa gives you when you're bad. But he takes this coal from the altar, and he puts that coal right on Isaiah's lips. And this may not seem strange, or we may not know how strange this is in a story that is already so strange. But if you follow my uh, reading recommendation, as people do, and you <laughs> hear the story of King Uzziah, this becomes pretty amazing. So King Uzziah was a really good and faithful king. But at one point he went 
you know what? I'm the king. I do what I want. I have a lot of power. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to make the sacrifices. I'm more special than the priests. And all the priests said, no, king, you can't do that. God said only the priests can make sacrifices. And he said, I'm the king. I will do what I want. And so he grabbed the pair of tongs to, to make the sacrifices. And he, he marches into the temple to do that. And then God immediately strikes him with leprosy, making him unclean. So what's happening here is the exact opposite of what happened to King Uzziah, what happened to an actual earthly powerful king, to this very lowly prophet. God is reversing it. God is taking somebody who is approaching him as unclean and making him clean. This would be like, and by the way, the altar was the place where you would set the table for God. You would put your, you would put your sacrifices on there for God to be able to consume. This would be like if, if a wedding crasher came in. That's 2000s. If a wedding crasher came in... <laughs> And uh, was at a wedding and everybody knew that they were a wedding crasher. The bride and groom saying, you know what? Come sit up here. Have, uh, have the first piece of cake. This is what is happening to Isaiah. Right? And what God does with that burning coal is he erases all the I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner. Your, your people have turned against you. With that coal, all of that is erased. And so Isaiah says the only thing that somebody can say when God washes your mouth out, right? God says, okay, now who am I going to send? And almost like as if he didn't have a choice, this newly clean, this newly welcomed, this guest who snuck in but now is the bell of the ball, this guy says, Hini. Selahini, here I am, send me. And so God took all the power and the majesty and the flaming angels and the robe that filled the temple, all of that vast power, and put it in a little mouth. When God does that, all that we can say is yes. The story of Isaiah is, I hope, our own story. Because what God longs to do is to take everything that God is and place it in our mouths. Unfortunately, we have not been able to celebrate that fully here. But when we do take communion, and if for a special circumstance, Pastor Jason comes to your house and we are privileged to provide you with communion. That's what's happening. All that glory, all that majesty, all that power of God is being placed in your mouth. We talk a lot in church about how God seeks hearts. And God does. We'll hear about the heart next week and the new covenant. But God wants all of us. And what God seeks is mouths like Isaiah's so they can speak God's goodness to ears like ours, right? Words have power. 
forget what your mother told you, right? (laughs) Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Anybody who says that is either uh, their skin is super thick or, um, you know, right? I've been probably hit with plenty of sticks in my life, right? But the words, those wounds stick even more, right? Think about the painful things that you might have said that you wished that you could take back, but it was already out there and it was too late. Think about the things that people said to you. Think about the insults that people gave you that are still causing you to have either insecurities or uh, think about the the labels that people gave you. Think about the nicknames that people gave you and, and laughed. Think about what words have done to harm you or to bring you down. I heard an amazing story this week from uh, somebody I was talking to uh, who is a labor and delivery nurse at St. Rose Hospital, and and we, uh, we talked about her sense of call, and she said, you know, when I was giving birth to my son, the nurse came in to give me an IV, and it hurt so bad, and the needle was scraping against my bone, and I was just wincing in pain, and the nurse just kind of laughed at me and said, Oh, if you think this is bad, wait till childbirth, honey. And how much that hurt at a very, uh, what she hoped would be a very special time. And that always stuck with her. And look what happened. She became a nurse. And then she became a labor and delivery nurse to erase that pain that was caused to her. She became that lump of coal that made that one mouth clean again. So, just like Isaiah, we are called to watch our mouths, and not only to have control over it. Um, you know, we, uh, we always watched in our family a Christmas story around this time of year. I know uh, there's some out, out there at home that are big fans of this movie, and one of my favorite scenes is when Ralphie lets go of that F word, that fudge, only he didn't say fudge. And the very next scene, he's sitting in the bathroom with that big, uh, that big bar, is that Life Boy, right? That big bar of Life Boy in his mouth, right? This is not the same thing. God is not there to wash your mouth out. And that's too often how this story is taken. No, what's happening here is that Jesus is coming to your mouth to wash your mouth out with hope. That's what Jesus is not interested in you using better words. God does not have a swear jar. God wants to live in your mouth. God wants to use your mouth to bless others. This is what we are empowered to do. We are empowered to tell everybody how good God is. Our mouths take people to that beautiful throne room whenever we just lift somebody up. Whenever we say a kind thing, whenever you get even mediocre service at a restaurant and you say, hey, thank you for working. Whenever you smile, whenever you have a conversation with your postal worker, right? God gives us such power in those small interactions through our mouths that have been washed out with hope. God gives us power to do great and 
awesome things and to bless people so powerfully with love and with hope and everything. We are given that. We are the ones that God sends. Brothers and sisters, I know this has been a very hard season. I've been yelled at both in person, on email, and on social media by people on both left and right. I've thought, and maybe I've even said some uncomfortable things. There's so much anxiety going on within us. But what's great is not what's going on within us. It's what's going on outside of us. It's what Jesus has done. And no matter what's going on inside of us, we are empowered to share that beautiful word of hope that the throne that never gets toppled is God's. And I want to make this real to you because I experienced blessing from a very unlikely place. And it's also a story about me being in a place where I either was made to feel or didn't feel like I belonged. Uh, Reinhold Niebuhr always talked about his experience as a hospital chaplain made him feel like an ancient medicine man surrounded by all this technology, all this medical equipment, all this scientific knowledge. And I, uh, I probably was placed in chaplaincy uh, to be in a place where I didn't feel like I have a lot of knowledge and, and expertise because I don't have medical training. But anyway, a few weeks ago, I was in a place where I was made to feel like I didn't belong. I was, uh, I'm not going to say where, I was, uh, when I was coming in, they decided, okay, well, we'll let chaplains in, but uh, we need to get a COVID test from you, and I was lucky, it was one of those quick COVID tests, but I had to go sit in a room for probably half an hour before a nurse came in, uh, wearing a giant, giant mask, stuck a swab up to my brain, I've never gotten used to this, um, and then I had to sit there until the test came back, and then I had to go to the, to the waiting area, and it was just taking so long, and even all this for a patient who, every time I see her, it's, I'm tired. I really didn't feel like eating today. I'm just tired. I, uh, oh, you're here. Uh, today's really not a good day. This is like every visit. And the only reason I'm there is because the family thinks that like somehow if I convert her to like a better version of Christianity that she'll start like feeling better. I, I don't know what the family is 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 thinking, but, but it just was such a drain on me because I was like, why am I here? And I'm wasting so much time and I could probably be doing all these other projects or seeing all of these other people. And then I finally get there and the CNAs in the room, of course. And then I have to say, oh, hi, how are you? And I adore this CNA. And I said, how are you? How long do you think it's going to take? And she went, you know what? It's probably going to take me about 20 minutes. So for almost an hour, I had to sit in this facility and I'm telling myself for no reason. And I'm furiously uh, reading news and sports stories on my phone. And finally, the CNA walks out of the room and says, she's all yours. And I was like, good. And I was mentally getting ready to go in and do my little two-minute visit with a, with a half-hearted prayer. And the CNA said, you know what, though? She was telling me just how much she appreciates your visits. I was a little bit floored. Uh, I think you could have picked my jaw up off the floor. That changed me from the inside out. Not only in a place where I had just been, uh, where I'd just been kind of unceremoniously shoved to the side, I was brought 
right to the center. And I went in the room, and it was still, oh, I'm so tired. I just had my bath. Could you just say a prayer and go? It was still that way. But man, the prayer I said, you would have thought I was standing at the walls of Jericho because the gratitude, for the gratitude that I knew my work was receiving, just came out of me. Just that little word from the CNA changed my work so powerfully. And so as your mouths are washed out with good news this week, I stand in awe of all the power that will flow out of that throne room into the lives of the people that you meet. And I know long after this strange time, (laughs) it will continue. Amen.